Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grussick, and that's me great pleasure to welcome Alexandra Harwood, uh, internationally renowned composer. Uh, Alexandra is an award-winning composer, well-known for many things, uh, two in particular that stand out for me, the four pieces she wrote for iMusic Canty's 2017-18 concert series at St John Smith Square. St John Smith Square is in the heart of Westminster, listeners. That's London, former church, now concert hall, and it is one of the so-called 50 new churches and it's regarded as one of the finest works of English Baroque architecture, built in 1728, sometimes known as Queen Anne's Footstool. Thomas Archer was the architect. Also, more recently, and I had the pleasure of going to this wonderful film, The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. The music score for that was, uh, was written by Alex Harwood. Welcome to Viewpoints, Alexandra Hardwood. Thank you so much. Uh, congratulations on, on, on a career that's got many awards in it, uh, but, but particularly right now and here in Australia, that film's on, uh, out in the, the centres and uh, everybody's enjoying it. Congratulations on the music score for that, Alex. Uh, how do you feel about it? Oh, I, it was just a, an incredible gift and pleasure to work on that film and it's my first uh, drama feature and it is my first cinema release, so the whole thing kind of surpassed any dreams come true, actually, because it really was. And working with Mike Newell was just beyond a dream come true. So, yeah, it's been the most incredible experience, and, I, and I'm so happy that the film has been so far really, really well received in the countries that it's played in, and it's got America coming up in um, August. So, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, really loved it. Yes, and uh, look, look, it's a very moving film. It's a beautiful film, and in a lot of ways mm. understated, and, and in, in no small part due to the musical score that you wrote for it. But you did face a number of challenges, and even late in the, late in the writing of it, to, to get it right. Uh, tell us a bit about the challenges you faced and how you dealt with them. Um, well, the challenges, it was, yeah, it was kind of challenging. I, I, are you... Um are you indicating the day before the recording? Yes, session? I read that and yeah. I thought, that must well, have created a, a cold sweat. Of, <laughs> yeah. <there's, laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened with that because uh, I'll tell you, if, if I can quickly dip into yes. the process of how I got the film, which in a, in a funny way was another challenge, but which kind of led to what why this other challenge happened because uh, I was put up for the film by my agent a year ago when they were shooting the movie and uh, the producers and um, everybody were happy with my music including Mike and they started using it on the assembly edit which is when they edit the movie whilst they're still shooting so they're getting a feel for how the footage works together um, but at that point of course I hadn't officially got the film and this was music of mine that was pre-existing from other films mm. um, but then Basically, it took another kind of six months for me to get the film, and it was a long process, partly because they were still shooting and editing and making other decisions, and it just took a long time. And during that time, I ended up kind of slightly strangely writing some keys to picture, even though I officially hadn't got the film. So it was all a, for me, it was an <laughs> odd process, even if it was normal for them. And I ended up writing 15 cues to picture, I guess it was like last July, and I didn't get the film till September. So in that July period, it was very, very interesting for me because I got to work with Mike 
um, and we, I think we discovered in that time that we worked very, very well together and there was a lot of trust between us. For me, that was particularly wonderful mm. because to be given room to create and trust is a, is a really great thing and helpful. But during that period, I think I tackled the very end of the film as one of the very first cues I tried to do because I was scared of it. It's a great big romantic scene. Yes. And that kind of thing can certainly, you know, veer towards cliche in itself. But, but I was really aware that the music could overdo it. So we wrote this cue and it sat there for months and months and months. Everybody was happy with it. And then two days before the recording session, and that cue, Mike was very, very <laughs> fond of that cue, uh, two days before the recording session, and by now the whole score was written. Uh, I can't remember how many cues there were total. It might be something like 30, I think, 31 mm-hmm. cues or something to, like that. Mm. Uh, everything was in score. The orchestrator put it into, you know, all the parts were printed and all this. And I got a phone call from one of the producers in L.A. <laughs> just saying, do you think you could just do a second version of that cue just in case? And I was always going to say yes. I don't like to say no. <laughs> uh, but this was at 8 o'clock at night, so I put the phone down, and there wasn't really time to even, you know, ring anybody else uh, and ask them what they would like from it. I just thought, okay, I'm just going to do this and prepare it. So at 9 o'clock, I started writing, and I finished at 3 a.m. Mm. And I wrote this second version, and it... And I tried to make it work like a jigsaw puzzle so that if anybody liked one part of the original cue and the second part of the new cue, it would all mix and match like a, a sweet shop. So that's what I did. And kind of strangely and luckily, it was the second version that basically ended up in the film. So it was, it was a kind of fortuitous thing. I think I had no time to think about it when I was writing it. And I was able to tie in all the other themes of the film that by then had emerged that hadn't existed when I first wrote the first version. So, I, you know, we'd all got so used to and attached to the first version, but it made more sense to tie in other themes when I actually rewrote it. So, yeah, it was a bit of a... It was pressured. <laughs> you, you, you must have had some incredibly strong feelings going through you, not only when you were doing it, but once you submitted it, I mean, there's always a chance they wouldn't like yeah. it. Yeah. It's a terrifying moment, but do you know, it was almost that thing of no time is a good thing because one, no time at late at night, there is no time to panic. So <laughs> I literally just put heads down, heads down and somehow just luckily got it done. That bit was, and the funny thing when I'm writing, when it's in that kind of, in that mode is that I don't have time to think and, and I'm almost not aware that I'm writing. So it's a lovely feeling in the end because I'm not even aware that stuff is coming out of me. That's good. Is, is that uh, a... But regarding the feedback, the understanding from the producers at this point was don't, like, they knew there was no time to really get feedback. So the next day I think I sent it off because this was now the day before the recording session. And I said to them, I'm really happy to do it, but you're just going to have to tell me ASAP if it's working. And they did. They got all the producers to look at it and Mike and I tried to, you know, reassure everybody that once we'd recorded all of it, we could go back to the first version, which we were also going to record. I just made sure there was choice. Mm. Um, But yeah, it was a little tense. (laughs) But you got through it really, really well. What did you learn about yourself from that experience, Alex? Because that was really under the pump. 
Um, do you know, I, in a sense, I, I, uh, it, it's not so much that I learned something because in a, I, in a way I've, I've, I'm used to, I mean, maybe I haven't had that experience before, but I've had a lot of uh, pressured experiences before in my writing. And I, what I know about myself, and it just kind of confirmed it, is I am really efficient under pressure. I actually strangely like pressure. And I, I think this is one of the reasons I love the film world for me personally, because I was a classical composer for many, many years. And that is lovely and fine, and there's a lot of freedom with it. But it's also that terrible thing of a blank page and often no deadlines, not like the film world. Mm. I, I like the fact that there are constraints in the film world. I like the fact that the film dictates what needs, what is needed. Often, obviously, the director and producers dictate too, but the film really mm. is where it should start. That's what is demanding music. And I like the fact that you have to hit these huge deadlines. So for me, I become very like, efficient it's... Um, in, that, in that way. It's it's interesting because I was um, reading through some of um, the things you've said, and uh, yes, you're, you've written a lot of classical music, uh, mm. and yet now that you've done film work, uh, it's interesting that uh, you uh, you find writing concert music again frightening for those reasons. And I thought, yeah. gee, you would have had that under control. Have have, have you lost You'd that think, sense of freedom? You? Have you <laughs> in dealing with it? Too much freedom. It reminded me. It kind of reminded, doing those classical pieces reminded me of why I slightly turned my back on writing classical music, because <clears throat> I did turn my back on it. And, yes. I, and when um, Leon Bosch is the person who commissioned me to write these four recent classical pieces, and, I, and I, if it's okay to tell you how that happened, because it's curious, he was playing in one of my scores that I wrote for Disney, a, a mm. documentary called Growing Up Wild, about baby animals growing up in the wild. And I think it's on Netflix still. And Leon was playing the double bass in that session, and that's how he discovered my music. And he commissioned, he, he is the director of eMusicanti and mm. wanted to commission four pieces. But my father uh, was born in South Africa, and Leon is from South Africa, and said to me he likes to commission new music by South African composers and he wanted to kind of pretend that I was South African in, in a sense because half of me is yes. um, even though I was born here and my mother was Russian so he, he said um, that's the premise of it and then when, I, when we started talking about the pieces a little further he said Alex I'm going to program each of your pieces in four different concerts and you're going to be surrounded by Russian composers and I said, well, Leon, I don't know if you know my Russian background. And <laughs> it was absolutely extraordinary serendipity that he had decided to do that because, of course, my Russian side is actually a, a, a kind of more, certainly more, slightly more interesting but extraordinary uh, line mm -hmm. of uh, ancestry. So that's, and that's how that uh, began. But again, because I'm scared of not having film and picture to draw on, uh, I embraced the Russian element and chose to set each piece on a Russian fairy tale. Mm. So for me, that was like having a film, but at least the story was in my mind. And I, I used elements of fairy tales, just like a springboard, really. Absolutely. Alex, will you take a short break? Can you hold the line over there in, uh, in England for us? Yes, I can, yeah. <laughs> 
Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick. In the middle of a discussion with Alex Harwood, the award-winning composer, and the Guernsey Literary, Literary and Potato Peel Society film is uh, one of her most recent uh, musical scores she's written. Welcome back, Alex. Thank you. Alex, when we do our research on people, and you clearly aren't as well-known yet in Australia, although I'm sure that's all changing than you are in Europe, the UK and America, but uh, we always like to go back to childhood, and I know that you've been uh, focused on writing music ever since you were four, but what, uh, and your first production was The Wombles, but but what actually intrigued... (gasps) I can't believe you found that out, Henry. (laughs) I did, I did, and... (gasps) I'm so impressed. <laughs> and, and, and I want to know, um, do you still harbour a secret fantasy to being a heart surgeon or have you moved on from that one to another oh my fantasy? Goodness. Well, <laughs> I'm first of all so impressed that you know this. That almost is alarming that this information is out there. But that is actually all completely correct. And um, I am obsessed with medicine I am mm. and I, I couldn't be a surgeon because I am not nearly clever enough um, uh, but I do read books about believe it or not about heart surgery and brain surgery yes. and I I mean accessible books they're not kind of highly medical books <laughs> uh, but, I, but I am fascinated by medicine and I kind of wish I had been clever enough I used to watch operations on TV back in my childhood they did actually show open heart operations mm. on TV. I'm not even sure why. Uh, maybe they still do on some strange channel, but I was just fascinated by it. And I just think it's a, it's just a miracle what they can do. It is. It in, is. In, in medicine in general. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I would like to. <laughs> now, 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 there might be scope for you because there are shows that are over here that are made, uh, come from England. Lots of them. We love them. My wife's actually uh, mm. English, also born in Africa, but in Nigeria, her father was uh, oh, a meteorologist over there for some years. Oh. But shows such as The Good Doctor, I'm surprised we haven't seen Alex Harwood's name next to that. Oh, uh, yes, you see, that's what I need. I need a show like that. It, uh, I'll get on to my agent about it. Get on to them and you can... <laughs> and you can meet with your old-time fantasy. Now, everybody's got uh, everyone's got a, a favourite piece, so I won't ask you what it is because I've, mm. I've found out. And it's a beautifully touching oh. story, The Happy Prince. Oh, that's nice that you found that out. Yes. Yeah, that is one of my favourites. Um, so this piece I wrote, gosh, I hate to think, you probably know better than me, I think it was about 25 years mm, ago Long time ago. Uh, so I went to a school called Beedell School in Hampshire, and they asked me, uh, uh, you know, wh- a while after I graduated, to write their centenary, a piece for their centenary. And my father, who is a writer, uh, adapted Oscar Wilde's The Happy Prince and wrote yes. a libretto. And I set it as a cantata for orchestra and choir and soloists. And my father and I have, and it, it really, well, I really do love that piece, I have to say. And I, mm-hmm. one, I love the story. And the piece was a success, certainly in my mind, which I don't often believe of my music. But I, oh. I, it was a really <laughs> lovely, lovely work. And it was so nice with, to work with my dad. And um, it was just a really, yeah, lovely experience. But amazingly, and I'm going to put this plug on radio, yep. uh, <laughs> we have tried to have that piece done so many times since and we have never succeeded in it and i still have a dream that this is this will be done before you know uh, for my dad really because he's 83 and i would really 
love it to be done again for him. But it's a big piece and it's orchestra and choir, and that's, I think, one of the you know, reasons it hasn't been done yet. Uh, maybe now you've got and uh, part of it's to do with, um, with, with influence and whatever, and you, 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 mm. you're, you're quite significant now in, 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 in that, that area, and people might, you might have a bit more push on that one, uh, Alex. Hopefully, one yeah. day, one day. But it's, yeah. it's just such an amazing story, yes. and it's often been made into films. I think just recently it was made into a film again, or it's about to be, but it's... Uh, and just a beautiful, beautiful story. And St John Smith Square, I mean, it really is. It's a, it's, it's, it's a rich part of um, Britain's uh, heritage, isn't it? And you've been there yeah. a couple of times. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and actually the Happy Prince was done there. That's yes. where the Beatles' uh, St. Henry concert was, and it was very, very nice to return with these pieces with uh, e-musicanti to St John Smith Square because I hadn't been there for 25 years with my music. I, I'd been to concerts, but uh, it was nice to return um, having my music done there. It was such a beautiful, beautiful venue. It is. Now, I've never asked this pers- uh, this question of any creative person, so you're, you're, you're getting a first <laughs> question ever here, Alex. Okay. Is there any piece you've written that if you had your time over again, you wouldn't do it? Oh, yeah. There Definitely. is. <laughs> Although, yes, there is. But I have to say, actually, the answer is quite, not quite. I didn't, there are some pieces I hope that are never, ever heard of mine again. Ah, oh, we'll, we'll dig them up. We'll dig them up. You'll see. I hope not. We I wrote them. <laughs> Don't tell us <laughs> what they are. No, no, I'm joking, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote them when I was at Juilliard. And I think back at where I did my master's. And I think... Um, the reason I say that is because I was writing in a style, i.e. very contemporary. I, my mum used to, we used to call it bumps and squeaks. Oh, but yeah. I did, I did kind of almost do it on purpose, to be honest, because to be a classical composer, certainly at that time, we're talking like 30 years ago, I, I never could have done my classical training if I, I almost feel that I couldn't have got away with anything more lyrical at that time. And I certainly wouldn't have been taken seriously. And I, what I've discovered about myself, and this is kind of probably good and bad, is that I am good at writing in other styles you and are. imitating, or at least absorbing other styles, because it's not plagiarism, but I, absor- I, can, I can transform easily. So that in the film world is very, very helpful. As a classical composer, it's probably not so helpful, because then I don't really necessarily have my own voice or I certainly didn't back then I was so I was writing very very contemporary music that was extremely unaccessible but I was experimenting and so even though I'd like those pieces never to be played again (laughs) I think it was probably very important that I did them because I learned I was still learning a lot about music and to have my pieces performed even if I didn't particularly like those pieces by incredible musicians at Juilliard and at the Royal mm. College of Music, where I did my undergrad. You know, that's where I was learning my craft. So whether I like those pieces or not is actually slightly irrelevant, because I was learning. But now, God forbid you dig them up. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 shan't, I shan't do that. Now, advice you give for the people is perseverance, don't listen to naysayers, mm. and keep a still centre. Have you ever seriously yeah. considered giving up and moving to heart surgery? Uh, <laughs> no, do you know, if I had the brains, I'd love to do both. But one, 
obviously I couldn't and also well I just know from friends and obviously realistic aspect but to be anything in medicine is years and years of training for a start so I certainly couldn't start now my brain's deteriorating I think by the day and and uh, yeah I, I mean I know being a musician is years and years of practice as well it is a it is a lifetime learning uh, I am still learning uh, but I think medicine is a whole other aspect of that and uh, yeah I take my hats off to them how valuable because you're you you've you've done postgraduate studies in, in your field mm. how valuable has that been to the development of yourself as a composer i would say i mean absolutely completely and utterly important that i did it and i'm very very grateful that i was able to do that postgrad study so my juilliard days uh which was my first master's degree that as i said already was you know, my classical composing. And throughout the Royal College of Music, my first teacher was Joseph Horowitz, and then this uh, postgraduate degree at Juilliard was with Milton Babbitt. And even mm. if I changed route later in life, that fundamental foundation I got from those teachers and from being there is exactly why I can do at the minute what I can do. There are, of course, many, many film composers that don't have a classical training, so I wouldn't say that's necessary as a film composer, especially nowadays. But I am very, very grateful that I had that training. Mm. Uh, just for my understanding of the orchestra, what instruments can play, um, that for me and the kind of music I write, that's important. Absolutely. So I have other struggles and areas that I can't do nearly as well as some other people that you know have a different background. Uh, but for me, that's where I will try and learn and keep growing every day. Um, but at least kind of regarding the orchestra and classically, I, I feel I've got a pretty solid background. And um, then about seven years ago, I took myself back to do a second master's degree at the National Film and Television School uh, <clears throat> because I wanted to change towards film. And it, to be honest, I didn't really want the, the degree. I didn't care to have no. a second master's degree. So the degree in itself is not necessary as a composer, I think, at all. But it's obviously a lot, you know, nowadays, if you want to go to any institution, you often have to do a degree because that's yes. part of the package. So I did, and I'm very, very grateful for my time at the NFTS because it's number one film school in the world. It launches people just about straight away into the industry. And you have this enormous family of people working in the industry from many years above you to many years below you, it becomes this incredible network. Um, and I learned a huge amount. I, slight, I went in slightly cockily thinking, oh, I don't oh, need yes. to learn anything. I'm just coming here to make, you know, networking. But it wasn't that way at all. I learned a huge amount there. Absolutely. Alex, time's gone away from us. Are you coming to Australia sooner or later? Or b I would love to. I know what. You get the happy prints put on there and I'm coming out. <laughs> ah, right. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll do, I'll, I'm leaving that up to you guys. <laughs> we'll see what we can do, Alex. Alex, it's been a real... Oh, I would love to come out there. I've, I really would. And I've got quite a few friends who live out there, so I've, I've got no excuse not to. No, and we'd all look after you really well. Oh, it'd be lovely. Thanks. It's been a real pleasure having you on Viewpoints, Alex. And uh, once again, congratulations on a career that's got so many years ahead of it and so many runs on the board. And uh, it, 
I was just thrilled to be introduced to your music via the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. Thank you so much. That so was nice a- to be on the program. Thank you. That was Alexander Harwood, a great composer. And if you haven't seen the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society listeners, I suggest you go and uh, have a look at it and it'll introduce you to some, some wonderful music. We'll take a short break. Don't go away. <laughs> 